this podcast deals with true crime. I will be speaking frankly and openly about crimes such as murder, rape, and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. special episode of the true crime truckers podcast it is my one year anniversary episode and on this episode we are going to do a Q&A and so this evening I am joined by a very special guest Mrs. True Crime Trucker hello hello hi everyone and so she is going to ask me all of the questions that you guys submitted online and I will try to answer them to the best of my ability, and we'll see how this goes. So, you can go ahead and take it away. Alright, so, first up, we have a question from Carrie Jeffers, and her question is, was O.J. Simpson's son, Jason Simpson's blood, ever tested at the murder scene? Okay, well... First off, they don't test blood at the murder scene. They test it in a lab. But I get what she's trying to say, and that is, did they ever test Jason Simpson's DNA against the blood that was found at the crime scene? Right. And no, they didn't test Jason Simpson's blood, and there's a reason behind that. Wasn't he a kid? Like, wasn't he a... He was an adult at the time. Was he? Yes, he's from uh, O.J.'s first marriage. Oh, I didn't know he had Yeah, one. Nicole was oh. his second marriage. The reason that they didn't test his blood was because the blood that they found at the crime scene was an exact match to O.J. Simpson's blood. If it would have been Jason Simpson's, it would have been a partial match because he only right. shares half of uh, O.J.'s his, DNA. Right. The only time that you have an exact match on DNA from two separate individuals is identical twins. twins. I knew that. So the reason that they didn't test it is because that blood that was found at the crime scene was an exact match for OJ. And there's a lot of people out there that'll do the conspiracy theory and they'll say that the blood was, you know, planted. And the way that it is is that how would they get OJ's blood before the crime was committed and plan it at a crime scene that was a double homicide. Because at the time that the police came upon the crime scene and they were investigating it, O.J. was on his way to Chicago at the time. 
So either the police had to know ahead of time that these two people were going to be murdered, or they murdered them themselves. And how would they get OJ's blood to plan it at a crime scene? So to put it to rest as far as the conspiracy theories go, OJ killed Nicole Simpson and Ron Goldman. Like, proof positive, 100%. His blood was there. There's no other way his blood got at that crime scene. So, there you go. Conspiracy theory. OJ is actually an identical twin. To his son? No. To somebody else. He has an identical twin just floating around. Okay. Highly doubtful. You never know. Conspiracies. All right, number two. This is from the Kitchen Table Historian. What is the strangest person you've ever met on the road? You know, I really haven't met too many strange... Oh, hold on. I thought this was another part of the question. She says, what is the strangest person you've ever met on the road? She said, I know you've talked about two killer drivers, and I was wondering if you've ever met anyone that was just off. I thought it was another part of the question, but it's explaining why she's asking that. Um, I haven't really met very many strange people on the road. Uh, the type of trucking that I do, I'm not an over-the-road trucker. I've done that in the past, but now I have a scheduled uh, run that I do on a nightly basis. And I'm home every day, and I quickly get um, my uh, trailers and, and take off and am back. So not too many crazy people. However, there was one instance where I was at a truck stop and waiting for a meat driver to show up, and walking down the road was a naked man followed by like four or five police cars and fire trucks. (laughs) So I would say that the guy was probably either mentally... Uh, impaired or maybe possibly on PCP or some other kind of hallucinogen or drug. But yeah, uh, just happened to look out the driver's side window and naked man walking down like the middle of the road. So that was the probably the weirdest thing that's happened since. You've got a couple of questions in here about truck driving, so that'll be kind of interesting. Um, all right. Question number three is from Maureen Flynn. She said, I don't know if you've watched the new theories about the John Bonet Ramsey murder, but I'm curious to know what you thought. Okay, I'm assuming that what she's talking about is the um, I think it's what the just recent came special that yeah. came out that was trying to say that John Bonet's older brother actually murdered her and her parents hid the All right. Um, I don't buy it because they found DNA at the crime scene and on John Bonet that they couldn't match to anybody. And as far as I know, the Ramseys weren't big into forensics and didn't know a lot about DNA evidence. And for a child at the time, because her brother was a child too, I think he was like 10 or something at the time. Yeah, he was a kid. He was younger. Mm-hmm. To murder their sister and then live a normal life with that secret for, unless he was a sociopath, which, I mean, as far as I've heard for his adult life, he's fairly normal and leads a normal life, as normal as you can with your sister being 
you know, an unsolved murder case. Right. He's never been in trouble with the law or anything as far as I know. So I would say that that rules out a sociopath or a psychopath. So I would put that as highly improbable that her brother murdered her and then the family covered it up. As far as I'm concerned, I think that it was an unknown person that came in, maybe like known to the family on the very periphery. Like, you know, wasn't a close relative or friend or anything that came into the house and murdered the girl. Well, don't they say that, like, murders that are unsolved are more likely committed by people who have no ties or connections to the victim? Yeah, most unsolved murders. Because they can't. There's um, not any strings to, like, put them together. The easiest way to get away with a murder is to not have any ties to the victim. That's why serial killers are so hard to find. Right. Because they kill random people that they have no connections to. So Right. Yeah. I mean, it could be somebody that did know the Ramses, but, uh, like, not a well-known person. Because when police do a murder investigation, they start with the immediate family and work their way out. Right. So as they clear suspects and stuff and family members and stuff, they'll work their way out. And it might have been somebody that they didn't even think to check because they, you know, weren't very, very well known to the Ramses. you know? Right. Could have been like a friend of a friend or something. Right. Well, I know um, I watched a thing not too long ago about Elizabeth Smart because mm-hmm. she just came out and Sort of did her own, like, question and answer, I guess, Mm -hmm. kind of. Um, Doesn't she have a true crime show? I don't know. I think she does. Maybe, but she just did a thing, and I watched it. And, um, I mean, the person who, you know, abducted her ended up being just some random person that worked on their house at some point. Right, exactly. Um, But in that, she was saying that, like, they were trying to to pin it on, like, her uncles and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. But then it ended up just being... This yeah. random handyman that right. worked. In and the that's room. the sad thing is sometimes um, the police will get so focused on people that they'll discount any other evidence that points right. in the opposite so direction. Right, because they're so convicted that it's Right, exactly. Right. Like, you know, it's, as the case of the, the Jean Bonnet murder and stuff, they got so hyper-focused on the parents, and so did everybody else, because, I mean, you know, nine times out of ten when a child gets murdered in the house it's a parent that did it or a relative that did it nine times out of ten when a spouse is murdered it's the other spouse that did it like if a wife and children go missing normally it's the husband that did it well that recent case of that guy out in what colorado or something like yeah that? christopher watts i was thinking it was like chris yeah that's right mm-hmm. um that's the one that put his up. children in the oil wells and stuff like that yeah i, I mean it took him three days to figure that one out yeah. You know? Um, well, and they were also saying with John Bonet that the crime scene was not preserved in any no, way, shape, or form. Because, no. like, by the time police got there, there had already been family, friends, like, in and out. They were in and out while mm-hmm. the police were there. And right. So, yeah. And being an affluent neighborhood and stuff like that, they weren't used to crimes such as murder and stuff. So the police officers didn't do a good job in securing the crime evidence, scene. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, unless they tried to do um, forensic genealogy like they did 
to catch oh, the Golden State Golden Killer State, and yeah. stuff, where they put it into a database and right. find relatives and work their way back. I mean, I, I don't know what kind of DNA evidence they have or if they can even put it in, but I would assume that that's probably the only way this case is going to get solved. Okay, well, that makes me think of a question that just I have. Okay. Um, do you think that DNA and genealogy is going to be something that is done more in the future? Absolutely. Because of what they've been able to do because so far? It, oh, yeah. I mean, in the past year, year and a half since they've started doing, um, you know, since last April was when the Golden State Killer was finally right. identified. Right. Um, and since then, there have been so many cases that have been solved by, by forensic genealogy that, yeah, I absolutely do think that that it will be used more and more often. And not only that, but I think that um, places like GEDmatch, which is the right. database that they use, right. um, that more and more people are going to start submitting their DNA results to GEDmatch in order to help solve crimes. Well, can you tell people what GEDmatch is? Because I don't know if everyone's going to know what that is. Yeah, GEDmatch is a um, DNA genealogy database which they take your results from Ancestry, 23andMe, um, mm -hmm. the ones that you put in to, to find out, like, you know, your genealogy and stuff. Um, you personally upload your results to that database. They don't get those results from Ancestry or 23andMe. You volunteer that information to JetMatch. Mm. And it's an open-sourced database that allows genealogy people to create family trees based on the DNA evidence. Well, since it's an open form and you sign the release to it, it is also open to law enforcement. Right. So when you sign up for the agreement, on the agreement it says that this will be used by other people and can be used by law enforcement. So when you upload your um, DNA profile from Ancestry or 23andMe to this database, it allows law enforcement to use that because they can't use Ancestry or 23andMe, but right. they can use GEDmatch and stuff. And then what they do is they, when they upload a DNA profile that they get from a crime scene and stuff, they'll get relatives that have put on there. Right. And what they do is they start working that profile back yeah. until they find a suspect that they think could be them. And then what they do is they follow these people until they can collect. DNA. Yes, because if you and match their if DNA you drink, that they collect with what they already mm -hmm. had. Okay. If you're drinking a soda and you throw the soda bottle out. That becomes public property. Right. And if the police go right. and collect that, right. then they have your DNA. And that's what that happened with the Golden, State, the Golden State Killer. Yeah. They collected, yeah. They collected his yeah. DNA um, along with other people that they've done in the past year. Right. So, This is not a paid advertisement. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, speaking of John Bonet, that's the next question from Cindy Pritt. That oh, is hi, Mom. Mama. <laughs> that's my mother. True crime trucker. Um, in the John Benet Ramsey case, they said the window in the basement was open. Did they ever find out why? Yeah. Um, they more than likely believe that that was how the suspect got into the house. But not only was the window open, it was broken, and that was why it was open. 
And the reason that it was broken was that Jean Benet's dad had broke it several weeks earlier. He was doing something, repairs either in the basement or outside. Um, I'm not 100% on exactly what it was, but he broke that window and they hadn't gotten fixed yet. And so more than likely that was how the suspect got into the house because she was found in the basement and it wasn't too far from that window. So they figured that was how he got in and out oh, of just like, Oh yeah. Awful. Okay. Um, Check your windows and doors people. Yeah. No matter where you live, mm-hmm. you never know. Okay. Another question from your mom. Um, and you may have to provide like a snippet of backstory on okay. this one. Um, it says, I've always wondered what happened to the monster that killed my friend. Is there any way of finding out what happened? And, like, let's see. Okay, yeah. Is there any way of finding out what happened after the he conviction? Yeah, after he was convicted right. of the murder. So, this will be a case that I'm going to try to get information on. Right. Um, it's a little known case. So, I've... Um, been meaning to check with the the police department in the city that it happened. Uh, this was in a suburb of Cleveland, um, and get a, a FOIA, which is a Freedom of Information Act, since it is a closed case. Um, Does it I just sh- become public? Yeah, if it's an open Anyone case, they'll it. deny right. you more than likely because it's an active investigation. But, but since, once it's closed, but yeah, it was an open right. and shut case. So my mom had a childhood friend that she grew up with that on Halloween was murdered um, by a man who was the brother of the sheriff of the town that she was murdered in. Um, And so this was back in the early 70s. And as far as I know... Um, he was convicted of first degree murder. Um, and so I have no idea what penitentiary he went to if he was sentenced to death and then sent to, in Ohio, the, uh, death row is in Lucasville, which is in Southern Ohio. That's where our execution chamber and everything is. Uh, it's about two hours South of Columbus. Um, I don't know if he was sentenced to life with no parole or if he was ever parole or anything, but in the near future, I will be doing, um, that case. And so I should have some information then, but as far as everything right now stands, I have no idea on the case, but, um, as soon as I find out, I'll let you know. Okay. The next question is from Christopher Stenfold. Okay. It says, not crime related, but what are your top three artists that you'd have to listen that you'd have to listen to for the rest of your life on a deserted island? Ooh, the I know one the or three. two or probably three. <sighs> I love music so much; it's so hard to just narrow it down to. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little cheating. I'm going to name a specific artist that a couple of them that have several different groups. And because they're in the groups, then I can listen to the whole collection. So the first one, of course, and my wife is looking around at uh, the studio right now, 
And uh, the first one would be Paul McCartney, because I'm a huge Beatles and Paul McCartney fan. So that would allow me to listen to the Beatles and Wings and then his solo career. So there's probably like 30 albums right there. So I wouldn't run out of material. Um, the other one would probably be Josh Homme, because then yes. I could listen to Caius and Queens of the Stone Age, yes. uh, Eagles of Death Metal, um, and then his solo stuff like Desert Sessions and things like that. So that would give me a bunch more albums. And then, geez, having to put it down to a third artist, like, there's so many bands that I like that, um, and so many different genres of music that I actually listen to. I mean, I love rock and roll, but... Uh, Justin Bieber is the third one. It's not Justin Bieber. It is. Maybe Justin Timberlake. <laughs> Maybe JT. Because I could listen to, like, NSYNC stuff and then his solo stuff. But there's not much there. Like, he's probably got, like, seven albums, maybe, between, maybe. like, NSYNC and solo stuff. It's probably seven albums. Um, I'll tell you who I've really gotten back into recently is Ghost. True. Uh, but that's only, like, five albums of material. They've only been around since, like, 2006. But... Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, who I would have thought you already said. So. Nine Inch Nails. Maybe there's a lot of material there. Really? Yeah, I love Nine Inch Nails. I mean, I know you like Nine Inch Nails, but you love Nine Yeah, I've seen them in concert, like, well, probably five or six times. That doesn't matter. You've seen everyone in concert. That's true. Okay. Um, Christopher has another question. He says, I'm sure it's been asked. Well, Christopher, not so far today. But what got you into true crime? I have always been a fan of true crime. Um, so so has my wife. Uh, one of the things that we've always loved to do is watch like Investigation Discovery or true crime documentaries. Um, I've always been that way. Um, when I was in junior high, I think it was, my mom and dad uh, signed up for a book club. And it was true crime books. So um, they had like Helter Skelter. Um, there was, a, I remember there was a book that was about Richard Chase, who was the vampire Sacramento. Um, there was like one on Ted Bundy and stuff. And I snuck the books. Like I wasn't supposed to get them, but it was like a monthly subscription thing where like they would get the book and I would sneak them and then read them. So. Even um, yeah, one of the first Steven. books that I remember reading when I was like probably in fifth or sixth grade was a book about Lizzie Borden and oh, like that murder, I and it had the pictures mm -hmm. in it, like the yeah. pictures that they took of like her yeah. dad on the couch and his yeah. face all gone, and, and her like, her stepmom like in the bedroom, yeah, on her the, face and to, to the, the side of the, of the bed, bed. Yeah. yeah. So and I was probably like ten, eleven when I took that checked that out from the library. So I've always been fascinated with true crime and being a trucker and working long hours and especially by yourself, like I listen to a lot of music, but there's only so much you can listen to music and so many times that you can hear songs over and over again before, um, like you just want to listen to something different. 
and I used to listen to a lot of talk radio. Um, I liked Opie and Anthony. Um, people around like the Cleveland area or Rochester and stuff will know uh, Rover's Morning Glory. Uh, he's like a syndicated right. guy that's in like five or six different states. I used to listen to his show and stuff. But sometimes it gets like super dumb and weird and I would check out for, you know, a few months and stuff. And so I started getting into listening to podcasts and I started listening to a lot of true crime podcasts. And so after listening to them and stuff and I got the idea that, you know, well, I like true crime and I know a lot of things. And there was times when I would listen to podcasts and I would be talking to myself as I'm driving down the road because the host would say, and then such and such, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, that's not, that's not right. That's not correct. Like what actually happened was, and so I started thinking, well, if they're getting these things wrong, maybe I can put stuff out and do a better job at like, you know, getting the information correct and stuff. Not to, to bash any other podcasts and stuff. It takes a lot of time to do research and it's very hard to do what we do. But a lot of times things will get repeated over and over again, especially about very famous cases. Right. That it's hard to dispel those things when it turns out that those things aren't true. Right, because they're so ingrained in the story. Right, and people right. will just keep regurgitating things that it's like, well, no, that's not exactly right, you know. It might be close to right, but it's not exactly. And so I just one day decided that I was going to start a podcast, and I worked on it for about about six to eight months before I even put my first episode out. Yeah. There was a lot of planning yeah. before I even started. And I think you, it was like two months that you worked on like, really, it was well over a month that you worked on your first episode. Absolutely. Yeah. It was well over a month. Right. Well, because I had out. never done anything before right. in the editing and, and things like that. So. Right. So, that answers the first question for the next person. His name is Mike Blanchard. Okay. Or Blanchard. I'm sorry. Thanks Mike. for your questions, Mike. Yeah. So, he has a lot of questions, but that was the first one, is how did you come up with this idea? So, I think that one's pretty much been covered, but how do you get your information? Okay. So, I get my information from a bunch of different sources. Um, I do use Wikipedia. Although you got to take Wikipedia with a grain of salt because people can edit it. Cautiously. Yes. Um, so I also look at Murderpedia. I check out Reddit. Um, but Reddit, again, has a lot of times people, um, right. you know, it, it's, a, it's a platform where people can add information. And so you got to cherry pick things that you know to be factual, uh, you know. Um, You've gotten books. I've gotten books. I watch documentaries if the cases have documentaries that are involved with them. Um, and that's basically it. Um, I've gotten it down to where each episode at this point takes about two weeks of research. And then, like, mm -hmm. just a couple yeah. days to write the, the actual script for the... Right. So, but... Um, 
the the hardest thing is when it's not a very well known case, because a lot of times there's not a lot of information out there. So you really have to go fishing to try to find the bits and pieces. Right. Absolutely. So his next question is: Does your wife help you out? Yes, Mike. I do. Now. Now. <laughs> I provide uh, moral support. Yeah, moral support. Moral support. So, uh, she doesn't help me write or research, record or edit. I do all that on my own. Uh, she is Jeez. helping me today, too. But, uh, no, she's very supportive of the show. We talk, okay? We do. We talk a lot. But this is kind of like my baby. So, this is... 100% me. Um, I don't have anybody that helps me write or record or any of that stuff. I do it all on my own. Um, and with working full-time and being a parent of two small boys, uh, it's on the back burner a lot of times, which is why I only release an episode every other week. Because that's the only amount of time that I have in order to, to put towards the podcast. Um, if I didn't work so long and I didn't have children, then I had to take care of them responsibilities at home and stuff. I could probably do an episode every week, um, but I just can't fit it into that kind of a time frame. Right. He's also working on our basement, finishing our basement, which oh, is where we're... a lot of projects around my Which house. is where we're at right now. We've mulched our flower beds. The flower beds are my babies. We're, we're in the True Crime Trucker studio. Don't tell them it's in the basement. <laughs> it's in our basement. It's in a posh studio in downtown Columbus. What kind of equipment do you use? Okay, so I have a Audio 2000s AMX7342 six-channel mixer, which is the mixer that I use. And then I have two new series Pro Audio unidirectional microphones. And I have an HP... Uh, what is that, an Elite Book? I think so. Computer that I use. And Audacity is the editing software. So it's nothing fancy. Um, it's not the cheapest, but it's not the most expensive equipment. What about what's your, um, the way you store all of your stuff? I think that's important. The like, way that's that... not just equipment, but where do you, where do you store all of your podcasts how do you upload them oh. that um stuff. so i store them on a OneDrive account um that way i can access them from my phone um what i do after i record the episode and edit it and stuff is i will download it to a OneDrive account 
and then I will listen to it all the way through one time just to make sure that all the edits are fine, that it's 100% put together. Um, although there have been several times where I have missed things after I've already got it uploaded and stuff. Yeah. And then I upload it to a server that's called Megaphone, which is what Age of Radio, the podcast network that I'm on, uses. Um, I normally upload my episodes on, like, Tuesdays or Wednesdays, and I schedule them for release at midnight on Fridays. So, when they actually release, I'm on the road. Like, I'm at work and I am driving, so it's great because it automatically uploads it to all of, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all the, the... the apps that you can use to download uh, the podcast. Right. Did you make the music and sounds yourself? I did not. Um, What I used was the YouTube audio library, and I found audio that didn't have licensing. So they have a bunch of um, free-to-use audio and stuff like that, and as you go through it, uh, sometimes it'll say it's free to use, but in your uh, description of the show, like you need to put the credits you need to for. Put credits, right. So what I've done is I've used ones where I didn't have to put credits, and I went through several and just tried to find uh, music that I liked, and then cut it down to like thirty seconds of the audio. Tried to find where a natural thirty-second stream of it would would work. Right. And then add it to um, the show. And I've had people ask me why I add the music to the show. I use it for a natural break in between sections of the show. Because you have like four sections. Well, yeah, I mean, the biography of the subject and then like the crime trials, if there's a trial and stuff. But there's another reason that I use it. If you ever listen to the show, you'll notice that right after the music, a lot of times there will be advertisement. So I use that as a break to uh, put in advertisement. I've listened to a lot of podcasts where they'll be in the middle of talking and then all of a sudden they put a break in for an advertisement in the middle of them talking and it just kind of jars you out of the story. Like you're listening and you're paying attention and then all of a sudden it's it's like, hey, four hymns, you know, like get your your boner pills from like, yeah, that's a big advertisement nowadays. Of course it is. And, you know, um, this is not a paid advertisement for four hymns, by the way. Um, (laughs) But it's just, so I use the music to kind of like bring people out of the story for a little bit so that way they're more okay with hearing an advertisement in the middle of um, in the middle of the story because uh, I'm required uh, through my podcast network that I have to have some spots in the middle of the show for them to add advertisements to. Right. Please stop hitting the desk. I did. All right. How long does it take to edit? Less now than it used to. Absolutely less now than it used to. The more that I've gotten into uh, the program and the more comfortable that I've become with editing, the quicker that it has become. 
but a general rule of thumb with editing, which this one's going to be real easy because I'm just going to leave it the way that it is and put it out, um, is that editing is normally takes twice the amount of time as the actual Recording. episode. So let's say you have a 45-minute episode. Well, that's going to take you an hour and a half to edit the audio. And that's just editing the audio and going through it. That's not even what it takes me to um, add in all the audio snippets and music and stuff. So generally, each episode probably takes me about two or three hours to edit. And I do that probably over the course of two days. I edit all of my audio first in one day, and then the next day I start dropping in um, any audio clips, the music, and uh, all that stuff. Perfect. Do you do a lot of work while on your break in the truck? I don't. Uh, You used to, didn't you? Like, when you first started, you would do... I did. Because you had to take a break to wait for your meat guy? Exactly. Exactly. So the type of trucking that I do is what's called a meet and turn. So I go to a specific destination every night. I meet a driver from one of our other terminals. We swap trailers and then I head back to Columbus. And so the way that my run is set up is that I can get down there and back within eight hours. And one of the things that people may not know about truckers is that we're federally regulated by law that we have to take a 30-minute break um, after eight hours of work. So if we're on the clock for eight hours, we're mandated that we have to take a 30-minute break. So I managed to get there and back home before I have to take that 30-minute break so that I can get home in the morning and go to sleep. Because yeah. I'm normally exhausted because I work at night. What brought you into trucking? Money. <laughs> to be blatantly obvious. Uh, and to be honest about it. So I work uh, for a national grocery um, um, warehouse chain. You worked? Yes. Okay, you said I work. No, I, I work. Um, so I worked in a warehouse in the freezer section and I would basically build, uh, pallets that would go out to grocery stores to stock the grocery stores up. So ice cream, frozen fish sticks, etc., stuff like that. Um, and it was a union job. I paid union dues, but I was considered part-time help, even though I worked what, More 50 than, hours, yeah. probably? 45, 50 hours a week. Yeah. Um, so I paid $100 uh, every year for the union and then $40 every month for union dues. Yeah. And I got no vacation, no health care, no... Nothing. Paid time off. Um, yeah. We never knew if I you had, were working from nope, day to day. because I had to call, a, call, a, had to call at 3 o'clock to a voicemail line, and they would have a set of guys every day that was working and so you would have to listen for your name right and i would work 12 13 hours because i would go in at like five o'clock and work till about five or six in the morning yeah it Um, sucked it was like the worst job ever yes it was the worst job ever for sure and 
so I worked that for... Not even a year. Not even a year. And I couldn't understand why I was in a union if they wouldn't go to bat for me and I had no health insurance. And so my wife's cousin's husband uh, worked for a trucking company and said, why don't you come up to Columbus and you can be a truck driver and we'll put you through our trucking school. We'll pay for you to go to the school and you can get your CDL and you can come up here and work. And they had great benefits and stuff like that. And so I did and I've been doing it ever since. Yeah. And he asks, what company do you drive for? I work for Old Dominion Freightline. They are the second largest LTL carrier, which means less than truckload. So an LTL means that on the trucks that I drive in the trailers, there may be six or seven different shipments from different companies. So the whole truck is not filled with just one shipment from one company. And I drive doubles. So if you ever are going down the street and you see, like, a truck that has two trailers in tandem on the back of it, that's what I drive. That's driving doubles. So keep an eye out for us. We're all over the road. We're the, we're the official trucking company of Major League Baseball. Damn, this is kind of a paid advertisement. Kind of. Yeah, they're a great company. <laughs> I like them, at least. They pay my bills. So we're on the last question from Mike, and okay. he says, Are you going to delve into conspiracy theories or keep it legit true crime? I'm going to keep it legit true crime. Um, I am You're not, not going to look into OJ's twin? I'm not a big proponent of conspiracy theories. Uh, the assassination of JFK and RFK and MLK are probably about as far as I go as... The Illuminati? As far as conspiracies. Like, I don't buy into, like, the loose change, you know, 9-11 was us and all that stuff, like... I'm not big into conspiracy, so no, I think I'm just going to keep it strictly true crime. Cool. All right, we have a line of questions from Jay Logan. What's been your favorite episode to put together? My favorite episode was my first episode, which was Amy Mahalovic. Yep. The reason being was because she was from Cleveland. I grew up in Cleveland. She was two years older than me, and it was just the first case of an abduction that I remember. She was 10 at the time and I was 8. And this was probably a couple years before I had learned about Adam Walsh, even though Adam Walsh had happened um, just a little bit before I was born. Mm. And so um, that one was very near and dear to my heart because it's been 30 years this year so she she was abducted in 89 they found her in 1990 um and it's still unsolved Mm -hmm. um they just recently did a uh miniseries on id channel called the lake erie murders Mm -hmm. and that was the first episode first four episodes was on amy mahalabek yeah and so um a little thing that I didn't uh, explain in the show when I did it was as I was writing and researching the show, 
which the show didn't come out until June, but I had started writing and researching it probably in about January, February, because I went up to Cleveland for St. Patrick's Day. Uh, I had a buddy of mine that had been inviting me for years, and I just wasn't able to make it, and so um, it was last year, it was like on the weekend or something, and I went, and on the way from Cleveland back to Columbus, I went out to Ruggles Township, which was where her body was found, and I actually went out to County Road 1184, which is where they found her body. And drove down that street and found the exact spot where they had found her body through satellite imaging and stuff. All the research that I'd done, I knew exactly where they found the body. And so in going out there, it's in the middle of nowhere. What people may not know about Ohio and generally this part of the Midwest, Ohio and Pennsylvania, Indiana, is that there's a large Amish community in this part of the Midwest. And all through central Ohio, in between Columbus and Cleveland, basically in that bar straight across from east to west, is all Amish country. It's rural farmland. There's nothing out there except for cornfields, barns, stuff like that. This place was in the middle of nowhere. You would not know where this place was unless you were familiar with the area. So, it was 50 miles from where she was abducted, but it literally would probably take you over an hour to get to, I mean, probably closer to an hour and a half to get where she was, because they're all just little rural county roads to get there. And so, the killer knew the area, because to drive for that long with a body in your car you have to be familiar with the area in order to dump somebody and feel comfortable that you're going to get away with it but yeah so amy mahalovic um which if you haven't listened to it i definitely suggest that you listen to it there's not many podcasts that have done that case right um i know uh true crime garage has done that case they're also based here in Columbus. They're in Columbus as well. Um, and True Crime All the Time Unsolved has done that. They're based out of Dayton. Um, but those are, again, all Ohio. Yeah, but podcasts. they're Ohio because if you lived in Ohio, you, you knew that story. Monarch. Right. All right. Can we have a sneak peek of what may be to come this summer? So, to come this summer, there is one case that I definitely would like to try to tackle this summer. It would be a very, very long case. Um, I'm not going to let you know what it is, but I will say that this year is the 50th year since this case had happened, and it will be a very long, probably four or five episode case because it's a very well-known case. And so there's a lot to weave so there's through. a lot to weave through, right. and uh, if you can pick up what I'm putting down, you'll probably know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Especially because I said it's been 50 years, so just think back to when that was. Um, so there's that. Um, I'm gonna do uh, quite a few more unsolved and abduction cases. I've been kind of on a kick of like murder lately. 
True. Um, So I'll probably do some more cases that aren't exactly murders and some more abductions and some more unsolved ones because I'd like to delve into those ones to maybe try to spark somebody listening to it, you know, yeah, may know something. Right. You never know. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Jay also asks, would you consider doing an episode on Dahmer? Oh, absolutely. Um, yep. Dahmer, uh, one of our hometown boys. <laughs> Some people don't know. Dahmer grew up in Bath, Ohio. Which is Outside a of Cleveland. It's uh, north of Akron and Canton. Oh, is it? Mm. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, Summit County, which is Akron, northern. Mm-hmm. Uh, coincidentally enough, Bath Township is where LeBron James's house in Ohio was at. It's a very nice, rich neighborhood. Also, I believe Bath Township is where Mike Tyson had his home. Uh, back in the day, but it's mm-hmm. a very upscaled neighborhood. And from time to time, Dahmer's childhood family home comes up for sale because it is that. still there. That. It is a beautiful yeah. home. If Nobody you wants can, to live there very If long, you though. can get over the fact that he murdered his first victim in the basement of that house. Um, or didn't murder him in the basement, he dismembered him in the well, basement. Well, hey, also, JonBenet Ramsey's family is home. Like, has rarely been occupied. Yeah, most of the time people get, like, a weird feeling about... Uh, yeah. It's just a home. No, it's not. It's definitely not just a home. I mean... No. Mm -mm. Nope. We would not live in this home if someone was murdered in this basement. Well, we don't know if anybody was murdered in this house. If we find out, we're moving. I'm pretty sure Ohio realtors don't have to disclose if a murder occurred in... Well, if you ever stumble across that little nugget, you just let me know. There is a website that you can go to. I do not know what the name of it is, but if you Google it, where you can actually look up your address. It's a pay site, but you can look up your address, and it'll tell you if any deaths or murders have occurred in your home. Uh, I love our home. I feel like I don't want to know that. All right. How do you select who who you're going to report on next? Is it whoever you find infatuating? He finds me infatuating. I find... It's not that I find killers infatuating. I find the idea of getting over that moral proclivity to not kill people... That's a big word. Yeah. I find that interesting. Um, I don't find them interesting. I think that... Pardon my French. They're all pieces of shit. Because you're taking somebody else's life unjustified um and you're doing it because you like it i mean as far as all the research that i've done and all the true crime stuff that goes on and people trying to figure out why killers do what they do they do it because they like it they enjoy it like, there's no real mystery behind why killers kill they do it because they like it the mystery Just is like everybody why do they does enjoy it? they enjoy it but like the mystery is why why do they enjoy I it? mean, probably the same reason that drug addicts like to take drugs, because mm-hmm. it releases serotonin, mm-hmm. oxytocin, and all of those feel-good chemicals in your brain, and so they probably have the same mm-hmm. thing happen to them. Yeah. Um, how I decide what case I'm going to do next, um, I have a running list on my phone 
of cases that I've heard about, things that I've seen, and I'll type in the names and stuff like that. And periodically I'll go through from time to time and look at the list and kind of find research and stuff and see how much research there is on certain things. Um, and so I'll go through that way. Um, people um, recommend cases to me all the time. Um, people that know that I do a podcast will say, hey, have you heard of this case or that case? Or what do you think about this? Or would you ever do a case on this? Which, by the way, if any of you have cases that you'd like to me to cover, right. just email me at truecrimetruckerpodcast at gmail.com and say, hey, you know, check out this case or that case, and I might do an episode about it. So, um, but yeah, I just keep a list um, and go through it. Um, and I try to uh, do a pretty even job of like really famous cases and then not so famous right. cases. Yeah. Um, because You've done really big things, like you just did Columbine. Yeah. And I did Columbine because it's been 20 years. Because it was the anniversary, yeah. But it's like big stuff. Right. And then, you know, Amy Mahalovic. Yeah. So not so. Yeah. All right. Um, what's your favorite city or state you've traveled to and why? Okay. So my favorite city that I've ever traveled to is New Orleans, mm-hmm. definitely. I love New Orleans. Yeah. It is a wonderful city to go to. Um, it is just so... Alive. Yes. And gorgeous. Yeah. And just... It is fun. Yeah. And I cannot wait to go back to New Orleans. I absolutely love it. Um, I, if I live there, I'd probably grow tired of it. Just like, you know, Anyone you else? grow tired of any city that you live in. Um, New York's great. It's a great place to visit. Uh, we lived real close to New York City for a number of years. Um, and so that's a great place. Um, it's a great place to visit for a few days. It's a, yeah, I know you want to live in New York City, but like I grew up in a city and you grew up in the country and I wouldn't want to live in a city that big. Columbus is big enough for me. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, I just saw an article in the news the other day that said that Columbus has now surpassed San Francisco as biggest city. Really? So, yes, because Columbus and San Francisco were neck and neck for being the same size. And now population Columbus, or footage? Population and footage, both. Wow. We have more people and it's bigger in area than San Francisco. And it's nowhere near as expensive to live. No, it is not. Thank God Google's not here. <laughs> Um, favorite state. I love any place that has a beach. So Florida, South Carolina, Georgia. Um, we were just in Destin, Florida last year. Uh, and it was absolutely beautiful. It was gorgeous. The beaches were, I love going to the ocean and I hadn't been to the ocean until I was 30. Um, maybe, yeah, somewhere around Because it was Seth's wedding. Right, somewhere So I was, yeah, about 30 years old. I had never been to the ocean before that. Uh, my family didn't travel a lot. We were, we, we didn't have a lot of money and there was three kids. So vacations were kind of out of the question. So I didn't go on a plane or go to see the ocean until I was in my 30s. Yeah. 
But yeah, anywhere with the ocean, Florida, stuff like that. Favorite city is definitely New Orleans if you're talking the U.S. the most memorable moment on the road maybe something cool you saw or an experience you had etc most memorable moment on the road is not cool <laughs> right but it is definitely the most memorable so we lived in eastern pennsylvania uh my wife was getting her master's degree and we had moved up there for a couple years while she went to the college up there and I worked for the same trucking company that I do now. I just transferred. And I had a run that took me from eastern Pennsylvania into Long Island, New York. And I would stop in Jersey City, New Jersey, on the way. And so one night I was on my way from Allentown to Jersey City. And I was driving down, is that 78? Right, I-78, Yeah. Uh, on my way through New Jersey, and as I was driving uh, in the uh, lane right next to me, there was a tractor trailer, uh, and I did not know this at the time, but there was a husband and wife team that were driving that tractor trailer. Yes, I remember that. And the Uh. woman... You can look this up. I want to say that it was 2013. Right? 13 or 14, maybe. 13 or 14. You can probably find this article online. Uh, She fell out of the passenger side of the semi-truck. He ran her over in the semi-truck. She got hit by another semi-truck and then hit by a box truck. And she died, of course. Uh, And... Uh, I watched it happen. Like, I was driving down the road when that happened. And uh, I was lucky that I didn't hit her, um, but I did watch this woman die. Um, yeah, you were, like, rattled for a minute. I absolutely was rattled. To this day, like, yeah. that is something that yeah. you cannot unsee. Right. Um, it's the most disturbing thing I've ever had to witness um yeah it definitely rattled me for a few days uh and i still think about it from time to time right uh, i later found out there was a lot of speculation from people that i had seen where they thought maybe like oh he pushed her out because she was asleep in the passenger seat and stuff you can't do you that can't in a reach, semi-truck. You can't you, reach over that yeah, far and it, open the door. It's too far to reach and open a door and push somebody out while right. you're driving at highway speed down the... It's just impossible. Right. Uh, what I did hear later on, and I can't confirm this, but I did hear that uh, they believed that she committed suicide that way. 
that she wasn't asleep, that she actually had opened the door and rolled out. But I can't confirm that. All I know is that she came out of the passenger side and got hit by three different trucks. That's awful. Yeah. That's the most memorable thing. And it's an awful story. Poor, poor Jay, who's yeah. apparently new Thanks to Thanks for asking, Jay. Poor Jay, who's apparently new to driving, says, I've been at it for seven months. Um, seven months in, but I love it. I plan on being a lifer. Any tips? Yes. Number one tip that I have for you is that no company can require you to drive when you do not feel comfortable in doing so. If you have not gotten enough sleep, If you think the weather conditions are too bad, you tell them, I do not feel comfortable getting behind the wheel of this vehicle. And they cannot force you to drive. Always remember that. Can you get in trouble? No, because you can put a grievance into the Transportation Commission and the Department of Transportation. And you can tell them, I did not feel comfortable, the weather conditions, and this and that, because every time that you're out there, you're taking your life into your own hands. Like, right. it is it is a very, very dangerous job that we do. We are putting hundreds of thousands of miles every year on the right. road. And we are with other drivers and other truckers and distracted people and bad road conditions and weather. And we have to deal with so many things. And so if you do not feel comfortable getting behind the wheel, you let them know. And just know you do not have to drive. There have been times that, uh, especially living up here in the Midwest and stuff, where we would have snowstorms coming through in the winter. And it's just awful, and I will call work and say, there's no way that I'm driving. Right. Yeah, you have. All right, good. Uh, David Hodge asks, do you prefer solved or unsolved cases? I prefer solved because there is... More material? No, there is closure to it. Right. I mean... These are crimes that have happened. So, of course, I want them to be solved. I want the people to be held accountable for what they've done. Um, That being said, unsolved cases are more intriguing. Right. um, Because it's like how they get away with it. It's a whodunit. Yeah. Everybody loves a whodunit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who did it? Who, Who... how did they get away with it? I wonder who did that. You know, right. everybody. Where is that person now? Right. What are they exactly. doing? Exactly. Exactly. Like are with they the Golden State Killer, there? he was just somebody's neighbor for decades. Exactly. Like, what are they exactly. doing Exactly. And he was one of the most fascinating oh. cases. Yeah. That, I, I mean, that one was one that even before it was solved for years. I mean, even before it was a popular case when it was... The original Night Stalker, the East Area Rapist case, before mm-hmm. anybody knew him as the Golden State Killer. Mm-hmm. That was a case that I had followed for at least 15 years from the first time that I had heard about it. Cause you it were so, so tweaked when they solved it. I lost my mind. Yeah, you were. Yeah. That yeah. was... Uh, 
that was a time when I was off work is when they caught him. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right. Matt Miller asks, do you like sports? And if so, what's your favorite team or teams? Uh, I do like sports. These are great questions. These are like not all just true crime questions. I I do. I love sports. Um, I, growing up in Cleveland and Ohio, I am a huge Cleveland sports team fan. So I love the Cleveland Browns. I love the Indians. Love the Cavs. Uh, I love the Blue Jackets for hockey. Uh, I am a huge Ohio State fan, because if you live in Ohio, you better like Ohio State. And I do like my alma mater, Marshall University, so I do like the Thundering Herd. We are. Marshall. So. um, But yeah, I love sports. Football is my number one, for sure. Recently, Uh, you've recently gotten more into hockey. I have. um, I liked hockey... From, like, the early 90s. Yeah. Um, me and my cousin really started getting into hockey. He was a huge Red Wings fan. And at the time, Ohio didn't have a professional hockey team. Um, so I grew up um, liking the uh, Avalanche. Because it was the Colorado Avalanche. It's Denver. In West Virginia, we didn't West Virginia, pay you don't have anything. to hockey. You don't have any. I grew up with one kid that played hockey. His yeah. name was Adam. So was it. it was always kind of like in the 90s. It was basically back and forth between the Avalanche and the Red Wings as to like who was the better team. Yeah. Um, for a long time there it was. Yeah. And and so like just to be a, a, a contrarian because he was such a huge Red Wings fan. I was like, well, I like the, I like the Avalanche. That's very, so. <laughs> that's very you. It's the most you thing yeah. you've said. All right, uh, Sydney Carter. What's one thing you would want people to know about trucking? They know when you're on your phone. That's oh, one thing he always says. He's like, I know that person's on their phone. He can ab- tell. Absolutely, I you're know. not hiding it from anybody. I do know when people are on their phone, uh, especially driving. At because night. you are weaving. <laughs> you look like a drunk driver. <laughs> They know. People may think, oh, I've got this handled and I'm like super good at being on my phone. And so you You look like a drunk driver as you're going down the road. Right. So, uh, yeah. And especially at night, we can see the light from your phone. Yeah. Like in the car. Like it illuminates the inside of the car. True. And if we can see that, the police can definitely see that. Um, But one thing that I would like people to know about truckers. Um, the biggest thing is, um, one thing that people do not understand is that we can't stop like you stop. Yeah. So you have yeah. your car or truck, which probably weighs about two to 3,000 pounds. When I am driving a fully loaded truck, I am 80,000 pounds. That is 40 tons. Yeah. So when you cut a truck off... Yeah. They and can't you, just stop. You have disc you brakes, stop. which work better. And I have drum brakes, which are not as good, but they don't wear as well. And that's why we have them. Because they don't wear out as easy, and we need them. So, here's one thing that you may not know about trucks. A fully loaded truck that is perfectly weighted, 
loaded at the maximum of 80,000 pounds with brand new tri tires, brand new brakes. The road conditions are absolutely perfect. Everything on the truck is perfect. At 55 miles an hour for me to come to a complete stop, that truck will travel 310 feet. That is over the length of a football field for me to come to a complete stop. And that's with everything being 100% perfect conditions, which never, ever happens. Right. So when you cut us off and you stop short, we cannot stop. And right. we will hit you. Right. And it's not that we want to. I don't ever want to hit a person. But we can't stop like cars and trucks stop. Right. The other thing that I'd like people to know is not exactly about truckers, but one thing that we have to do all the time that people in cars don't have to do. And it's kind of a challenge. The next time that you are out driving, say, you know, from home to work in the morning, as you're going down the road and down the freeway, every traffic sign that you see, <laughs> read it. Yeah. Don't be on your phone. Don't, you know, be singing a song or this or that. Just go through and read all the traffic signs as you see them as you're going past. And you'll be amazed at how many things you're not paying attention to. We have to read every single sign that we see. Because there might be a bridge coming up that we can't clear underneath. Um, we might be going to a construction zone and trucks are normally in a construction zone if there's two lanes of traffic and we have a certain lane we're supposed to be in. Yeah. So if you come up on a construction site and there's two lanes and you're getting pissed off because all the trucks are in the left lane and they're going slow and you can't pass and stuff, to. that's because there's a sign back there that says all trucks must use left lane. Right. So, yeah. just read all of the traffic signs. Just do a simple experiment, and you'll be amazed at all the things that you actually miss right. while you're driving down the road. Valid. Tom Sloan says, if you could interview one serial killer, who would it be? Joseph James D'Angelo, the Golden State Killer. <laughs> Jones and for him all the time. Uh, I would absolutely love to interview him. Um, of course, I doubt he would say anything to me, uh, because he hasn't really talked about anything, but if I could get him, any of them to actually talk, it would, without a doubt, be him. Because yeah. it's just amazing that he went so many years without getting caught. Mm-hmm. And so many years without doing anything else. Yeah. He just stopped. From 86 right. to 2000. I mean, that we know of. He may True. have committed other murders. True. Um, but as far as we know, he stopped in 86. And, and just didn't quit. Get, and didn't just get arrested quit. until 2018. That's crazy. And he started in, like, 72 with the rapes in Northern California, the East Area Rapist. Yeah. And did over 50 rapes. In the course of like seven years. That's a screwed up dude. It's like sure. 79 or something like that, I think. It was like when he went to Southern California and the first murder started to happen. Yeah. I want to say. Kelly, I might be getting some of these dates wrong, but I'm just kind of going right. off the top of my head. Right. Um, Kelly Lester says, what is the most difficult thing about producing a podcast? 
Uh, the editing, definitely. Like, the the research and writing isn't very difficult because it's just reading and then taking things that you read and then putting them into a script and stuff. The writing has definitely gotten easy. Um, it's the editing. Um, and it's not so much that it's difficult, it's just time-consuming. Right. It, it takes the most... The most... Not the most time, but it's the most mind-numbing time because you're just cutting and deleting and pasting and doing all, and it's right. like yeah it's it's the most unfun part of, of doing <laughs> right. a podcast right it's the desk work yeah all right steve stivers says what's your favorite podcasts oh um let's see I love the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, Your mom's house. Your mom's house with Tom Segura and Christina Pozitsky, which if you've never listened to, it's really good. And if you're a big fan of stand-up comedy, I definitely recommend Tom Segura. He has several uh, comedy specials on Netflix, which are great. Um, Let's see. What else? Um, I like, uh, well, there's True Crime All the Time, True Crime All the Time Unsolved, I listen to those, True Crime Garage, um, let's see, I, I used to listen to Nerdist, which was Chris Hardwick's, yeah, um, and then he started doing the ID10T thing, like, Mm -hmm. he switched over the name and stuff like that. But he kind of has fallen off with doing the podcast. They're only every once in a while. And so, like, I don't get to listen to it very often. Uh, Criminology is a good podcast out there. Uh, it's a good true crime podcast. Um, and then there are several that are, like, um, uh, radio plays. So oh, you, yeah. that's that's right. one great thing about podcasts is, like, there's right. all different types of um, and so there's one called Darkest Night, which I like. It's kind of like um, the Twilight Zone or Outer Limits and stuff like that. But, like, it, every episode is different, but they are um, strewn together in a cohesive, like, storyline. So they all tie in, sort of, right. you know, even though they're all their own standalone. Um, there's another one called Deadly Manners. That's a great one. Um, there's one called We're Alive, which is a zombie one. Mm. It's a radio play. So they've got a couple different ones and they've got a new one coming out in September. Um, and then I like a lot of the podcast networks. So Unsolved Murders, Conspiracy Theories... Even though I'm not a big proponent, I think conspiracy theories are bunk. Um, there's Serial Killers, The Serial Killer Podcast, which is Thomas Viborg Thune. He's a Norwegian uh, host. He's really good. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of other ones that I'm I'm not... He's basically been listening to podcasts for years. And I listen to a lot of them because I have a lot of time in the evening. 
Dave Chandler says, what's a case that you're really wanting to cover? Did we ask something like that earlier? No, we didn't. No. What's a um, case that you're really wanting to cover? So, of course, I want to cover the Golden State Killer case. I That'll be a long one. It, not only is it a long one, but it's going to be a while before I cover that case because it hasn't even gone to trial yet. Right. So you might and as well so wait until it goes to, to trial. And I want the trial to be done because uh, it would be incomplete. Right. You'd be like, and then he got arrested and... The end? Yeah. Until, Stay I mean, he got arrested more. last year, and it's such a big case that it's probably going to take a couple years before it even comes to trial. He, and hopefully he stays alive for it so that he can <laughs> right. receive some justice. I mean, he's like 70-something years old, so, right. you know, hopefully he's healthy enough that he can be. Um, uh, Adam Walsh would be another one that I'd want to do. Mm-hmm. Um Let's see. Of course, Dahmer and Bundy, and I mean, I'll get to all those ones eventually, but the thing about it is, uh, I mean, the very famous ones, everybody's done. Right. These cases have been done to death. Uh, No pun intended. Uh, Richard (laughs) Ramirez, um, uh, Israel Keys, um... The the Ross County murders once that trial's over. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of people outside of Ohio probably don't know about that either. Yeah, there was a whole family that was murdered like four years ago or something yeah. like that. It was when we lived here. So yeah, maybe twenty twelve. The first time we lived here. Yeah, in a rural county and stuff like that in three separate locations, these people an yes. entire family was slaughtered. And at first they thought that it had to do with drugs because they found marijuana on, like, one of the properties and stuff. But, no, it turned out that it was uh, another family had murdered, I think it was eight people. Like, the family of four had conspired to murder, like, eight people of this other family because the son and... It it had to do with... um, It was custody. I was just saying it was custody. So the the family that did the... basically murdered everyone else that they would get custody of. The family that did the murdering had a son and the family that got murdered had a daughter and they had a child Child together. together. And they murdered their entire family so that he could get full custody of this little girl. They didn't think about the fact that when they were found out, they would go to jail. Yeah, well, nobody ever thinks that they're going to go to jail. Well, they should learn. All right. Again, never murder anybody that you know. (laughs) Disclaimer? Um, Maybe. I mean, don't murder anybody, but if you're (laughs) going to, like, have no actual ties to those people because you're going to get caught. Oh, my God. Okay, so this is my question. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And I said, if you could actually investigate any one crime, what would it be? But if your answer is Amy, then you have to give something else. Um, because James I mean, is already covering Amy. <laughs> I mean, I, James Runner? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I actually got to talk with him and email back and forth with him when I was doing my... Right. Yeah. My case. So, um, yeah, I... If you don't know there. who James Runner is, James Runner wrote the one and only really book about Amy Mahalovic's case. He was a reporter in Cleveland. He's also wrote uh, about the disappearance of Mara Murray. 
uh, he also uh, was part of the... He's an investigative journalist. Yes, he was also He's part of the TV show about journalist. Mara Murray that I think was also on Investigation Discovery. I think it was. Like Missing yeah. Mara Murray, I think, I think was the was. name of the yeah. show. And he's actually on that, but, like, we emailed he back and forth. He was on Amy Mahalovic one, too. Yeah, on the Lake Erie murders. Yeah. 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 So was uh, Nick from uh, True Crime Garage. Yes. Which, another podcast from here in Columbus. Right. Um, so, yeah, If I, I was going to investigate one case besides Amy Mahalovic, Because I would knew it, it would be... It, your first would be Amy, wouldn't it? <sighs> My first would be Amy. That's what I figured. The other one that I would probably... Now, is this at any point in history? Like, could yeah. I go back in time yeah. and investigate? Yeah. And the Cleveland Torso Murders. What? Yeah. What is that? You never heard about the Cleveland Torso I know. Murders? So in the 30s, like, there was 13 different people, a bunch of them that were never identified, that were murdered in Cleveland, and, like, they would find the torsos and body parts and stuff all over. It's also known as the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. Now that sounds more familiar. So, and so they never caught the guy. Like, it was for like six or seven years, 13 different victims. Um, like, they would find bodies without the heads and stuff. And that was the mode of killing. They were decapitated, and that's how they died. <laughs> so imagine, like, not only being murdered, but being murdered by having your head cut off. Sometimes they never found the head. But at the time of... Say so this was the 30s? The 30s. And at the time, Ugh. Elliot Ness was the safety director for the city of Cleveland. So he was the public safety director. This was after Al Capone had went to uh, prison. So he was... You know, the Untouchables and Elliot and everything. Well, he went from Chicago, he went to Cleveland and became their public safety director. And so he was in the charge, basically, of the case. And it was a case till the day that he died that, like, haunted him. So, and that's one that I would love to investigate to figure out, you know, and solve the one case that Elliot Ness couldn't solve. But, um, that's the reason that uh, here in Ohio and maybe some other places, there's a um, craft brewing company called Lake Erie, Lake Erie Brewing Company, and they have a beer called Elliot and that's why because he was the public safety director. It's a little hoppy, if I remember. Uh, a lot of theirs are hoppy. Their Christmas ale is the, the shit. The best. Um. So I also wanted to know how much or how little information can you have to still feel like you successfully covered a case? And then I have one more. Um, I mean, as long as there's some meat on the bone, I mean, if it's just like, oh, so-and-so got murdered, and like, that's it. Which I, some cases are. Sometimes people have, like, said, hey, have you heard about this murder? And Well, that was the case of And the, it's just like, there's nothing there. Well, that was the case of the girl that was murdered in Huntington when I was in college. Yeah, the one that they found in the crawl space under the... They found her in the crawl space. Yeah. And... Yeah, I went to investigate that. never had any... There was nothing. There nope. was just nothing. Nope. She went missing... 
And Samantha from Burns from home. Now Samantha Burns from home is one that you could yeah. probably. But I investigated that one, and it was like she was missing for a few days or a month or whatever. No, it was from her that apartment, long. and then they the found her in the crawl the space in the apartment building, and she had been there the whole time. And I don't even think was, it was an, was it was it an apartment building or was it a it house was that a, was a duplex? I mean, it was a house that was a but, duplex, like yeah. what I lived in on. Yeah, in Huntington, West Virginia, where Marshall University is, because it's a college town, a lot of the houses around there, which are Victorian era style houses, all built in like the they're all split into yeah from the nineteen twenties and you know earlier. Most of the houses they're all split up into apartments because it's a college town. Yeah, and so she was found in a crawl space near the laundry room in the basement. But she had been been missing for... for like a month. It wasn't. It wasn't a month. I want to say it was close to a month. But yeah, but there's not really anything to cover. No, that was it. That was the end of the story. It was like they've had no leads, no suspects, no nothing. Like, and and the only news reports that you'll find from the area is like it's been ten years, it's been fifteen years since like she's, and it's just the same stuff over Over and over over. again. Yeah. So um, I'm gonna do more episodes where I'm gonna like I did with the Hollywood murders where I lump in a bunch of cases that are smaller um, into one case and I'm gonna try to like keep them all with the same theme or location or you know um, so that I can get those cases done but um, yeah if there's basically just like they were murdered and that's it and like there's no real like evidence Right. Out there, you know, which with that case, I understand it's an open investigation. They have no, nothing's been shared with the public because they have no idea what happened. Right. Um, But yeah, those are basically like the only type of cases that I won't do is when there's absolutely no evidence to them. Right. But, I mean, if there's, like, hey, this happened, and this is weird, and these things happen and stuff, and it's only, you know, 15 minutes of material, like, I'll I'll do it more Try likely it than that. I'll throw it with another yeah. couple of shorter episodes, to, or shorter cases to make a longer episode. Um, okay, and my last one is, are you going to do Jack the Ripper? Am I going to do Jack the Ripper? So many people have done Jack. We could do it together, because I did that. I did that class in London all about Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Oh, you had to throw in there that you lived in London for for No, some I'm, time. No, I'm saying, like, I've been there. Like, I've seen... You have been there. I've seen where humble, Catherine Eddowes body brag. was found. Humble brag. Humble brag. She lived in London. I didn't, yeah. For, like, three months. Well... You know, no, it's just, it's something that was really interesting to me. And that's why I ended up doing I'm, that class. Because I'm sure I, it was I so will. I'm sure I will do Jack the Ripper at some point. If you want to write the case, you can write the case. And, Ooh, that'd be fun. We can so, do it together. I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll do Jack at some point. Yeah. Or it could be, or it could be Jackie the Ripper. There is that theory out that there it was, that it was a woman. Yeah, there is. That she Lots was killing prostitutes because her husband was, like, sleeping with prostitutes. Mm-hmm. So, there's a lot of theories. There was that news thing where they were like, oh, we've solved it, and it's every couple it's like, years no, they come out with, oh, no. we've said, they'll never solve it. 
No, there's no, no way. No. Oh, we saw Jack the Ripper. No, you didn't. Now, no. they do, but they do have DNA. Somewhat. They do have it was DNA. So poorly preserved. They have DNA. They matched it to a suspect that they had, but it's, you know, semen from a rag that a prostitute used. Yeah, so, that's like, true. you can't, you can't say 100%. And it's something that, like, you can't follow the chain of. Custody or custody, yeah, that you do with DNA. Yeah, so that's a big thing with like law enforcement is that you have to be able to have chain of custody right. when you have DNA evidence. Yeah. And they had no idea this that is they something would that is over a hundred and forty year, almost hundred and forty yeah. years old at this point. Yeah. Hundred and thirty last year. Sorry, over hundred and thirty years old, and yeah. it wasn't this this article of, of material, I think it was like part of an apron or something like that, wasn't even in Scotland Yard. Like, it was in somebody's private collection that like they gave back to... So it's like, how many people has it been handled by? Like, I just, I Ugh. don't buy it, so... Yeah. But yeah, I'll probably do Jack at some point. That's all the questions that we have. Awesome. I want to thank everybody again for submitting all of your questions to the show. And I hope I answered them uh, in a way that was satisfactory to all of you. Um, And I just wanted to give a heartfelt thank you to everybody. Um, It's been a year since I've done the show. And I literally did it as a hobby and something that was fun and I would have literally kept doing it if nobody listened to it at all. And the fact that all of you people listen and that you enjoy the show and that I have watched this show exponentially grow um, into something that is just amazing. Um, from the bottom of my heart, thank you all. And uh, I hope to do an even better job over the next year. So, um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for supporting him. Yeah. So. And thank you for reading those questions for me. You're welcome. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, before I go, uh, honey, do you want to give them maybe uh, some place that they could reach you. You don't have to if you don't want to, but if you want to be like, oh, you can follow me on Instagram at blah, 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 blah. I mean... Or you can stay mysterious if you I mean, want to. you know, I do like to stay somewhat mysterious. Yeah. But uh, if you find me on Instagram, you're just going to see our kids and plants. Yeah, basically. Because... I'm a huge houseplant fanatic, and I like I like our kids. 
but I'm Gail Blaine 724, I guess. You can get on there. I like houseplants. I like my kids. <laughs> and as always, you can find me at ageofradio.org slash truecrimetrucker. You can join the Facebook group at True Crime Truckers Podcast. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash truecrimetrucker. You can email me at truecrimetruckerpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram at michael.prit81. And in two weeks, I will be back, and I will present another case. So until then, stay safe.